Hey folks, this is Judd, and I am daydreaming about dragons again. I've got a purring cat on my lap. The wind is howling outside, but I am warm and cozy, and life is pretty good. Can't complain. I gamed this weekend. That was good. Played some demi-humans with with Rob and Tom and Becca. Uh, Rob uh, also published Misspent Youth, and he is the person who got me into gaming way back in the day with with Marvel Phase Rip, and. Uh, so it was nice to game with him again 30 years later. Uh, we, we've clearly, we've gamed since then, but uh, that's, that's the beginning and the end of the timeline, uh, or the beginning and the middle, I would like to think. So things are good, and Pupper Cat is purring, and I've got some nice responses. So let's start with Michael Miller from Incarnadine Press. Uh, the redder, the better, and we'll go from there. Hey, Judd. Mike Miller here. I really liked the bit uh, about uh, how players know what they know and using that to develop players' backstories in an improvisational way. But it got me thinking about one of the potential pitfalls of sort of D&D's grab bag approach to fantasy, um, for lack of a better word, that sort of, we're going to dump all the toys on the... uh, kitchen table and play with them when everything in all the books is on the table as far as what might be entering the game, that sort of improvisational uh, approach to backstory and such is more difficult to achieve. And that got me thinking about something else, which is when you use a focused campaign setting, something like you were talking about uh, with uh, Angus a few weeks ago, that uh, if we know that elves are not on the table, then no one's going to improvise uh, backstory about elves, and therefore uh, things are going to just hang together better. Uh, And the backstories that people are going to invent are going to be richer and more cohesive and more able to play well with the other ones at the table as well as the stuff that you as the GM DM are developing for the world as a whole and the important NPCs. So yeah, it just sort of, everything sort of seemed to synthesize together. So great show. Thanks. Bye. Yes, Michael, I agree. I think, I mean, you've got to have some kind of idea of what, um, what the genre is it came up a bit an interesting way in our uh in our demi-humans game this weekend where i feel like my buddy tom and i came up with very very traditional kind of tolkien inspired uh takes on on a halfling and an elf and our friend becca came up with a really cool fungal troll who had a uh who was composed of 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 dead things that they were digesting and bones to make a frame so they could see appear humanoid and had a cool corvid living in the, the eye socket of the cow skull that, that they used as a head. And I don't know why that fit together, but it did. It did all fit together. And it was cool. We could appreciate. I feel like Tom and I were so traditional that when Becca did something super imaginative, it just all gelled. Uh, and it was cool. It was a nice thing. I, I feel like also the the interesting thing about the time we live in is that, you know, 
everybody pulling something else from the book and it being kind of nutty is almost its own genre at this point, right? I mean, there's gonzo fantasy. So so you can you can do that. You can say, all right, we're just letting everything in. Like all the toys, dump the dump the toy chests. They're all on the floor, you know, step on Legos. You're gonna it's gonna hurt. But that's almost a genre unto itself. And I think that's interesting. Uh, you know, that's kind of where Planescape is at. And of course, it reminds me of a daydream I was having today about what I would do with uh, with Ravenloft and with Strahd, with the most recent 5e game. And I was thinking it would be cool to run that with just something really not gothic, you know, just like a bunch of biker gang orc uh, striding into to Strahd's place, just so out of context that it's kind of cool, you know? Just like, yeah, Strahd, whatever, we're orc. Um, or rocking out with, with God, uh, Godbound. Um, and, and I've got an idea for Godbound, uh, making up a bunch of different uh, D&D, you know, playing a, a game of Godbound with the Raven Queen, Vecna, uh, Asmodeus, and, uh, and, and a couple of other big cosmic figures. And I feel like Godbound can do that well. But anyway, what I'm saying is, is that not having a genre has become a genre. So that's kind of interesting. And just crazy times, crazy, crazy. But you need to have that, you know, what you don't want is to have one person thinking, oh, we're going to play, you know, canon Tolkien Middle Earth and someone else to, be, you know, be pulling in Kender, you know, from Dragonlance because you're going to somebody's going to be frustrated. So I hear you. I agree with you. And uh, I think the world is a crazy enough place that we can we can all throw our toys on the table as long as we all agree that that this is a, a toy throwing party and that chaos will reign. That it's cool. I hope you dig that. I look forward to throwing toys on the table with you someday soon, Michael. And uh, I'll talk. And uh, next time you're in town, let me know. We'll have a, a meal because sharing a meal with you is always a delight. Thank you very much for your response. It's always appreciated. On to the next. Hey, Judd, it's Che from Roleplay Rescue. Just uh, listening to Tea with the Lich. And, uh, you know, it just kind of pinged a little thing in my head, pinged something away. Um, a while ago, I wrote um, a module for the Mithras uh, classic fantasy game um, called Terror of Etim Marsh. And um, mm, there might be something undead in there. Anyway, um, it kind of pinged in my head as like, what a cool thing to have at the end of like this like hard fought dungeon adventure that you'd kind of get to the, you know, the tomb or wherever where the slitch is and you know as you walk in the door it's hello fellows hello tea i'm with you dude i think that that would just be really cool thanks for the idea hey shay thank you very much uh if you guys aren't listening to shay's uh, podcast Roleplay Rescue. It is a really fun, uh, really fun show about him coming back to gaming and 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 smashing the hurdles that have gotten in his way of getting back to it. And 
I, I just think it's it's got a, a cool focus. I love a podcast that has, is about something, and it's got a cool laser focus, but the focus is broad enough where I think he's going to have a lot to talk about for a very long time, and it's a great show. Uh, I will have the uh, links to that and, of course, to, to, to Michael's stuff um, in the show notes, and yeah, it's great, so thank you. Yes, I mean, I think it's even better if all of my uh, villainous you know, tea sipping bad guys antagonists also have a wonderful act, you know, have wonderful voice like that. It's just, that's amazing. So thank you very much for, uh, I'm glad that it resonated with you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something, it's definitely one of those tools that is in moderation, you know, uh, it's, it, it's not, I don't want to be having tea with every single, every single villain, every single monster, but sometimes it's cool to share a moment with a bad guy. Um, it can just, it can work. It can be kind of cool. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, more recently of uh, the, the, the She-Ra reboot. There's an amazing episode where they have Princess Prom and, and Katra dex, is decked out in this cool tux and it's amazing. So if you haven't seen the new She-Ra, check it out. It's a lot of fun. And uh, there's definitely a lot of like moments where they they create situations for the villain and the hero to the antagonist and the protagonist. I wouldn't even say villain because I feel like the real villain is Hordak, but the the antagonist and the protagonist to be together and and not be fighting, but kind of be fighting. It's good stuff. It's good stuff, you know, because T could also be a waltz, right? It'd be cool to waltz with the lich, too. You know, how often do they get to dance? How often do they get to shake it, get their funk on, get their groove on? Probably not often. Probably not often. Although, you know, some vampire parties can get kind of crazy. Who knows? Who knows? How do undead party? I don't know. Something to think about. Something to think about. They could be pretty gruesome, especially those ghouls. Be a lot of buffets. Uh, uh. Anyway, Shay, thank you. And keep up the show. I'm really enjoying it. And on to the next. Let's look at a tweet. Hey, my friend Dev from Sweet Potato Press and from just down the street from me. Uh, they He's half the team that, along with Laura, who published Compa- uh, Companion's Tale, which is a really cool, pretty game that... Uh, that he kicked that they successfully kickstarted and have rocked out on. So check that out. I'll have a link to Sweet Potato Press in the show notes. But I want to get to uh, a really smart tweet. Um, so Dev tweets and a couple in like a series of tweets uh, I really liked. Here we go. I'm going to read a couple of them. Also, in a recent episode, he discussed skill checks, specifically knowledge checks. Missing a check shouldn't necessarily mean, duh, you forgot the info, but a lot of more character-validating options. It was a book or a field you never read. Why is that? So here's a D&D technique idea. There is a tendency to use a skill roll's value to add color. Roll the two, foolish error. Roll just shy of the difficulty, you made a slip-up at the last minute, but this tends towards comedy and ineffectualness. The probability curve around a skill check is tied only to the chance of overall success of the task. The range of results on a D20 will usually include miss big and barely miss numerically, but a highly skilled person should experience different kinds of failure. So perhaps when there's a failure on a skill or knowledge check, you could use the dice roll as a hint, but also strongly consider the character's context of why they would have failed here. 
The mechanics only require that they failed. When I see the skill check bot, I'm always tempted to come up with something that is funny and ironic because that's good Twitter content, but that can be negative for an actual game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely stuff, examples that I put on my uh, skill check uh, skill check write-ups for D&D skill check that, that is absolutely from a game that is going poorly. Uh, so Dev is, is you know, he, he sees what's going on. And the other thing is that you can use failure as a way to show that what they're doing is really hard. Um, I know when I ran uh, Blades in the Dark, um, people would get kind of bummed because jobs would be going kind of crazy. And, and it was just like, no, that's how crime goes. Crime is crazy. Crime gets out of control. I mean, there are jobs that go smooth, but there are a lot of jobs that don't. And and if you make, if you, the dice are going to push the results that way. So what I don't want to do is get into a situation where I'm penalizing a player and making them feel bad and having the world make them feel bad for what, what is going to happen in the game, where everything about that game is pushing towards some kind of chaotic outcome or some kind of, yeah, you kind of did it, but there's a complication. So I don't want complications to be the sign of a bad criminal and a bad scoundrel, right? Because then every, they're going to feel like they're a bad scoundrel forever. And it's the same thing with D&D or any kind of D20 thing, where if, 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 if you've got some kind of myth in your game where, yeah, you can get through the whole dungeon without taking a, any kind of a shot, without losing any hit points, then suddenly losing hit points is like this loss of face. That's not cool. You know, that's not, then suddenly the players are being penalized and made to feel bad for engaging. That's not fun. So dev is on to something. I think how you contextualize your, your skill roles is a big deal and, and about how you make your, your players feel about failures. Um, you know, and, and, you know, when they swing and they miss and someone's wearing a bunch of armor or the, you know, the monster has like a really good AC because they've got blubbery skin. It could be, yeah, you, you just whiffed. You just, you couldn't even hit the thing. Or it could be, yeah, you hit it, but it's got really rubbery, flubby skin and you just couldn't cut through that crap. You know, it was, it's an inhuman thing. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to how you narrate failure and how you, you, how you bring it to those characters and how you make the players and the characters feel. I mean, sometimes, you know, a whiff is a whiff. You got to make, you know, and, and, and it's frustrating. But the, the way you describe it can be, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a criticism, you know? It can be just, you know, hey, you're, you're trying to do something really difficult. You're trying to cut a demon. It's not easy. It's not easy for anyone. And you didn't do it. But, you know, the, the, the fires of hell, you know, push back your sword. That's the way it goes sometimes. Um, now, maybe they should have tried a different thing. You know, maybe they should have splashed the holy water on the demon. Maybe. Maybe that would have been better. But... Yeah, think about that. Think about how you're making players and how you're you're painting their characters as you as you bring narration to to the to the role's result. And I will uh my buddy Dave Turner posted a cool link to an article uh on the Alexandrian about about failure and I'll be having a link to that too. So that'll be on there. Cool. Thank you Dev and uh thanks Dave. And thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. 
I think that's about it. I think that's Reply Show for this week. Uh, I've got more. So if I haven't gotten to you, if it's been a couple weeks, I apologize. I'm working on it. And, and hopefully I'll get you in here. And if any of these spring or any of the, anything from the show makes you have a reaction, send me an email at judd.karlman at gmail.com. Or you can uh, tweet at me. I'll have my Twitter at the, at the end of the links. Or you can send me something on the Anchor app, whatever you prefer, however you want to do this. Or you can email me an MP3, whatever you got. Raven, Pigeon, we're good to go. All right. I hope you have a great week, and I hope you're staying warm. And it's cold up here in this here Northeast, and I'll talk to you on Sunday. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye.